This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 143. That's, I think, the big mindset shift is just using the word if. Like, in 25 years, if I was at the number one best place I could be financially, what would that look like? And just make it up. My name is Ashley Kerr, and it is almost the new year, 2022, and Tony Robinson is still my wonderful co-host, and I could not be happier (laughs) to go into the new year with you, Tony. We made it through another year, Ash, 2021. It was crazy, right? Because 2020 was a crazy year for everybody in so many ways, and everyone thought that 2021 was going to be like the year that things got back to normal, but it was kind of just more of the same. So here's to hoping that 2022 is like the year that we get back to some semblance of like regular normalcy. And that everyone that's listening gets their first real estate deal. And then it's just good news around for everybody. I know. I know. And I reach out to me and Tony on Instagram to you guys at Wealth from Rentals and at Tony J. Robinson. And let us know what your New Year's resolutions are, what your New Year goals are to get that first deal or to get that next deal. We would love to love to hear from you guys about that. Yeah. So I think we're, we're actually probably going to do an episode, Ash, coming up here, but where we talk about our goals for 2022. So I won't, I won't spoil that yet, but uh, just what, what's what's new with you? Give me a life update. What's going on in the world of Ashley Care? Well, today started out super great. I just had, like, we have our little mastermind call, me, you, and our friends, I guess. And then I got some random calls uh, just about different opportunities. And I was like, wow, today is great. And then this deal I'm working on, they won't even counter my second offer. They countered my first offer, but now they're not even countering my second offer. And there's another offer coming in. So I have some homework and some more uh, tightening of my numbers to do. One thing I will not do is I will not stretch my numbers to make the deal work as much as I want that property. So always remember that, guys, is don't overinflate your income and don't deflate your expenses just to make the deal work. There will always be other deals. And I'm going to replay this to myself repeatedly today as I really, really want to just offer the full amount and get the deal. But I won't. What about you, Tony? Yeah, but just just commenting on that, like it's such an easy thing to do, like when you spend so much time looking at a deal, analyzing it, you're already kind of like imagining what you're going to do with the property. It's super easy to start making decisions that are based on emotions and not based on data. Like there's a like a small motel here in Southern California in Big Bear Lake that I put an offer in on a few months ago and we couldn't agree on a number and it's still listed. And I keep thinking, like, should I just go back and ask them what they're, you know, but it's like, if it's still listed, it's still listed because they're asking for too much. Right. So yeah, really, really. I even made like the property, the background on my phone to like, (laughs) so when I look at my phone, it's like, is what I'm doing right now really helping me get this property? So I'm going to be so disappointed if the reason I don't get it is because they get a higher offer or something where. At first, there's been no offers and really not a lot of interest. So it was more of like, can I come up with enough money to make this work? And can I pull off the operations? But now it's like, oh, my gosh, I might not even be able to get it under contract. So we'll see. But they say sometimes the best deals are the deals you don't do. Right. So if this one doesn't work out, maybe it's for a good reason. Right. Um, yeah. Well, what's new with me? Let's see. Still trying to sell my house in Louisiana. I mentioned that in the last podcast. We had it under contract for all of 48 hours before it fell out of contract because of the flood insurance. So 
if anyone wants a house in Louisiana, that's still out for uh, up for grabs. But I'm super excited. Like we will our, put our a team... link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. Yeah, but oh, super excited. Our, our team at Alpha Geek Capital is growing. We're le- actually looking for an acquisitions person. So we just closed that application last night. We had a bunch of people apply. So we're, we're hoping to get someone onboarded within the next couple of weeks to help us get to our goal of buying not one, not 100, but 1,000 short-term rental units in the next like two and a half years or so. So we're, we're going to need a pretty cool team to make that happen. But that's what's going on in my neck of the woods today. I feel like over the last couple of weeks or even like the last month, you and I both have had a lot of clarity as to where we want to go, what we want to do. And just from conversations we've had, I think at least like the last six months, we've kind of been a little lost, both of us. So I think I love it that we're so in sync. We're lost together (laughs) that we find our way together. (laughs) And what better time, like right here at the end of the year, right? We're like, we can go into 2022 with like a lot of clarity. But I get last thing on that point, right? I think what helped me gain that clarity was having conversations with other investors. 100%. And it wasn't necessarily that they came to me and said, Tony, this is what you need to do. Like, honestly, what someone told me, they were like, Tony, it doesn't matter what you decide, just pick something. Like, it doesn't matter what you decide, just decide on something. And when I got that feedback, I was like, man, I guess you're right. And when I had that kind of realization, it was really freeing to realize that I could pick whatever I wanted to pick. I just needed to pick something. Yeah, I agree. It was those little side conversations that happened at conferences or phone calls with other investors. So that's why it's so important to network, not even just the inspiration and motivation, but because you're going to get those. It's usually just like one liners, too, that are like aha moments for you. I'm like, wow, okay. But I have to say, since I have this clarity again, that I feel like so much more motivated. I can't even tell you like the last week, how much I've just wanted to grind and hustle and work because I know exactly what I'm going for now. And so nice to have clarity. Let's hope I can keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, When the podcast comes around in like February, we're both like in totally different directions. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm buying like farmhouses in, in New York by you and you're buying like, I don't know. Vacation homes in Mexico. Yeah. Vacation homes in Mexico. Yeah. Well, are you guys ready for today's show? The last guest episode of 2021. Today we have Aaron on the show and Aaron is going to talk about systems and processes for wholesaling. And he just started his wholesaling business in the spring of 2021. So he's already hired virtual assistants and people to outsource his tasks to. Even if you're not wholesaling, this is a great episode to listen to, to learn how to do these things and start to outsource. And not only does he go over like how he's building his team, but we also spent a good chunk of the episode just kind of talking about how he set goals for himself. So what a great episode to kind of end the year out with. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. What does financial freedom mean to you? More time with your family and friends, the ability to take that globe-trotting trip, or do you just want to sleep in until 10 a.m. every day with no boss to answer to? Real estate is your gateway to financial freedom, but rent-ready property management software is what keeps your free time actually free. From seamless online rent collection to custom applications, property marketing tools, and repair request tracking, RentReady allows your portfolio to run on autopilot. The best part is you can manage all your rentals right from your cell phone. And that's why RentReady is my favorite property management app around. I use it for all my rentals. Whether you've got one or a dozen doors, RentReady helps you streamline how you manage your rental properties to create a life you love in 2024. Now, Rent Ready is already included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But look, you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLCs done right. They'll handle all the state filings, draft your operating agreements, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, which is a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton, over 35 years ago. Now, his son, Ted, is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to CorporateDirect.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Okay. Well, make sure you guys check us out on Instagram if you haven't already at Wealth From Rentals and Tony J. Robinson. We're going to be sharing even more content going into the new year. And then check out the Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. Uh, we post the podcast on there and also have weekly videos released that are tailored just for rookies. And let's bring Aaron onto the show. Aaron, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Super excited to have you on, man. Welcome to the show. Awesome. I'm excited to be here and honored. Yeah, awesome, man. So we'll, we'll get into the story here, Aaron. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us how you got started in the world of real estate investor. All right. So I graduated from college in 2017 and I got a job, studied engineering. So I got a like decent paying job. And then I was like, wah, because I had never really been paid before. And then getting a W-2 income, like every two weeks, they were paying me more than I ever made, really. I'm like, Worked jobs throughout school, but never 
really made any money. And then I was like, what am I going to do with all this? Jeez, a wheeze. And uh, I ended up having like way more time as well. Cause like after I got home from work, I didn't really have anything to do. And I was super involved um, in college. So I was really bored uh, when I got home from work and I was like, well, I don't know. I like working on things. So I'll just like start working on this place that I'm living in now and see if I kind of like that. I might like buy a property to fix up and flip or something. Cause I was looking to try to figure out something to do with my money. And I looked at like investing in a stock market and that wasn't really for me. I don't know. Tangible guy. So I bought a duplex after looking for a while and getting super involved in like reading tons of books and being like a bigger pockets junkie, listening to those podcasts to and from work for like six months or something. So I bought this duplex, rehabbed one unit, rented it out, and then rehabbed the other unit and then moved out of it with, I was living in it with a friend. So like house hacking the unit and the whole duplex. And then me and that friend that I was living with moved into his duplex, which was like a block and a half away. So like I grabbed my stuff and we threw it into his car and drove like there wasn't enough room in the car for me to sit there. So I just grabbed a handful of stuff and I walked over to the duplex quicker than he drove over there. (laughs) So we moved out of that place. And then I guess buying that first duplex was how I got started. Yeah. So it sounds like you house hacked to begin with. Is that like the first strategy? Yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. So just give us like an overview of where your portfolio is today. Okay. I still actually just have that one duplex that I bought a few years ago. And then since then, I did like one flip slash like wholesale because it was a bad wholesale deal, really. I couldn't sell it Can to Can you just else. explain what a, a hotel is for somebody that doesn't know? Real quick, yeah, please. definitely. It's like a property that really could be listed or it's like really close to being able to be listed. So like I bought the property and then listed it in two weeks. So basically I just repainted some stuff and then like fixed a couple cabinet doors and closet doors that weren't like closing properly. Awesome. So is that your one flip and then anything else after that? Yeah. After that, I did one wholesale deal and like that one I JV'd with somebody and Then like, as I got the call from the title company or the day that I got the call from the title company, like, Hey, your checks here, come pick it up. That was the day after I had quit my W2 job. So I was like, Ooh, that could be, I don't know if I believe in signs and everything, but that seems like it could be (laughs) one of them. So I had quit my job. And then since then went on a little vacation and came back and started wholesaling. And now I've done three more wholesale deals since I started doing that. I've got a few under contract right now. And then one of them I bought and I actually am seller financing it to somebody else. Awesome. Okay. So lots of different stuff going on there. First, I want to know what was the motivation to quit your job? Is it because you hated it or was it because you were making money in real estate or you wanted to have more time to pursue real estate really? Good questions. It was kind of weird to quit my job because I didn't hate it. I liked it. I liked the job and I liked the people and yeah, pretty much everything about it. I liked, I was just like, I don't love it. And, uh, it's not really what I see. I guess I, I knew what my ideal life looked like. And then I knew, or I could see like what path I was on and like path I was on is going to end over here to like, and then my ideal life is over here. So it just didn't seem, it didn't feel perfect. And it's a good time. 
let's break that down a little bit. So it's the end of the year. Everybody's getting ready to put together their New Year's resolutions. What's going to be their goals for this coming year? How do you kind of set that vision for yourself? For me, it is really hard for me to see into the future and be like, this is what I want my life to be like in five years. Do you have any tips or tricks for me and any of our listeners as to how you set that vision for yourself and really push yourself to meet that goal? Absolutely. I will also start off with, I guess, like it's really hard for me too to set a a long-term goal. I'm definitely a goal setter and I love like personal self-help books, basically love those. And so I set goals and and normally my goals are like, well, this year I want to run a half marathon or do something like that. That was how I was approaching my goals. But in 2020, I went to the one thing goal setting retreat and they gave me a really good framework for how to set longer term goals. And then they, instead of, I don't know, I've always kind of built my, or I've thought that you could build like a three month goal. And then off of that, you can make your one year goal. And then like, you can make your five year goal from there. And they were like, no, do it backwards. So like, think about what you want your life to be like in 25 years. And that's really, really hard to, I'm like barely 25 years old. So in 25 years, I'm going to be twice as old as I was or as I am now. It's just insane to think about. So they're just like, if it was, that's I think the big mindset shift is just using the word if like in 25 years, if I was at the number one best place I could be financially, what would that look like? And it's kind of at that point, you can kind of play around with it and be fun and be like, okay, so if I was like totally satisfied with my job, what would that look like? And then just make it up. Let me add one comment onto that, right? Because I I love the conversation about about goal setting because I feel like it's such a I think everyone understands the value in setting kind of big goals to yourself, but people don't often take the time to kind of really clearly identify what those goals are. And funny enough, Ash and I were just on another call this morning. We were sharing our goals with like another group of investors. And it it's just like such a motivating feeling when you can set a super specific and clear goal for yourself because it's like all of the other noise just kind of starts to go away when you've got this really clear vision of what your future looks like and clarity around what you should be doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. That clarity just really comes in when you've got a really crystal clear vision of your future. So not to put you on the spot too much, Aaron, but I guess in, in the way that you've kind of set your goals like, what is your advice for someone if they want to kind of mimic what you did and, and maybe set like that big 25-year picture or 10-year picture, one-year goal for themselves? Okay. So basically you got to break it down because you can't just be like, in 25 years, my whole perfect life between like my family, my relationships with friends, my fitness, my finances, my job. So I'm talking about all these things. Break those down into categories. So start off and just say, you're going to, I think it's best if you can try to like get some time alone, like make a big time on your calendar and you can go out somewhere. I think that's what I'm going to do. I think making it more special can make it a little bit exciting. So do that and then break it down into like my perfect finances would look like this. And so I have X amount of dollars saved up and I'm going to be spending X amount of dollars per month. And so that'll last me the whole time or I'm going to have this many rentals that are paying me. And so that's going to last me for whatever. And then my relationships, I'm going to just like have a core group of like five to 10 friends and we see each other a couple times a year and we go on like these types of vacations. And so you make all of that up and 
like that's kind of I think the fun part, but definitely be writing it down and try to get as specific as you can. And then so you have like your life broken down into those categories. The basically like five that I can think of would be finances, your job, family, friends, and health. You can break it down into more or less, but I think having that is a good place to start. So then identify your 25 year goals in those five areas. And then from there comes like the part where you're going to break it down and figure out basically your most important next steps or your action plan. So break your 25 year goal down and do a five year goal. And then you can break that down into a one year goal. And then from there, you kind of know what you need to be working on this quarter or this month or this week. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Aaron. Bigger Pockets also has the intention journal that kind of works in the same way where as you break down your mins, your most important next step, and it really helps you develop those action items to reach your goal or to get there. But Aaron, enough about goal setting and the future and the vision. I want to hear about what you're doing right now in your business. So you mentioned you've been primarily doing wholesaling. What does that business look like? Do you have partners? Do you have employees? What kind of systems do you have? I want to hear all about it. Okay. I started wholesaling in May this year and I had been wholesaling. Like it was basically, I was like, I need to make a little bit of money and it would be a good way to find my next property. So maybe like I'll find my property off market. And if I find something that's not a good fit, I'll just try to sell it to somebody else. And so that's what I had been doing for about like six months of the end of 2020, I guess. And so that's when I found that wholesale deal. And then I found that other deal that I JV'd. But then since May, I was like, this is what I want to do full time. And so I'm kind of actually, it turns out pretty interested in the business side of things and like the process side of things. So what I've been doing since May is trying to systematize and make a process around things so that I can eventually like hire myself out of the business. So, so far I've been able to outsource. I had outsourced some cold calling and text message prospecting to a friend of mine that wanted to learn more about real estate. Um, and he's since moved on and I've found a virtual assistant in South America that's doing some cold calling for me right now. And I'm interviewing a person to help me with dispositions right now. So they're going to be sending out emails and creating the emails to send out to my buyers list and then doing all that communication between the interested buyers and us in the title company and just making sure that runs smoothly so that I can focus more on spending more time going out and looking at properties and analyzing properties because that's the fun part for me. I saw Ashley Wilson. She's at Badass Investor on Instagram. She does multifamily syndication. She had done this post this morning or yesterday. And it was that when she goes through her email or when she does anything, it's either that the task is going to be automated, delegated, or eliminated. And I thought that was so awesome. And that's what like keeps her from having to do task and to be that high level person where she can take something and kind of categorize it into one of those dumps, I guess, <laughs> and dump it into there. But Aaron, are you using any kind of software to manage these contractors you have working for you or to do your project management workflow? Yeah, so I was using Podio when I started just because it was free and it was working pretty well for me to manage, like following up with people, but it wasn't 
working as well as I thought it could be. And now I'm using Forefront, which is a CRM that Danny Johnson made. And I found him actually like on another Bigger Pockets podcast. And I was using him for a website before that. And he like invited me to a webinar where he was like rolling out the CRM and he was like, we're giving everybody a great deal. And I was like, I don't know if I need it, but I think it's going to be helpful. And so kind of took a leap of faith and it's awesome. I love it so much. Aaron, one, one thing I want to point out, because I feel like a lot of times on podcasts, you hear the guests and you hear the host talk about like team building and getting this VA and, you know, hiring this person to their team and doing these things. And when I think about myself, when I first started in my real estate business, I didn't have the money in my business to go out and hire somebody, right? Like, and I think that's just like an important distinction to make because it's like when you're first starting, sometimes you do have to wear all of the hats just to kind of get the whole machine to get to start turning, right? Like if you maybe go out and try and hire everything right away, you might not have the resources, whether that's money, whether that's the knowledge and ability to train those people or even just the desire. So I, I just want to make sure that we're framing the conversation and that, yes, it's cool to hear Aaron and Tony and Ashley and, and Brandon and Dave and all these other people talk about how their teams are being built. But when you're first starting out, sometimes you do have to do everything yourself. So I guess my question to you, Aaron, is when you first started wholesaling, was your team what it is today or, or was it just you as a, as a one man show? My team was me, for sure, <laughs> when I first started wholesaling. <laughs> And so I was like making calls to people and then following up with them and then signing contracts with people at the properties and then talking to the title company and then making sure everything closed. And then when it didn't just tearing my hair out and run around like a chicken with my head cut off and then go into a different appointment where I'm trying to put my head back on. So the person that wants to sell me their house thinks I have it together. And honestly, like still, I feel like <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm faking it until I make it. I feel like. I mean, we've all read like the E-Myth, right? Like, have you guys read the, the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, right? So in that book, it always talks about working on your business and not always working in your business. But I listened to an interview with Michael Gerber where he made like a very important distinction about the working on versus working in. And what he said is that that is a gradual change, right? Like the book, you read the book and it's like a six hour, seven hour read, right? But the actual process to go from consistently working in your business to consistently working on your business, that's a gradual change that takes time. And he said, most people, when they first start, they should be working in their business. So I appreciate you being transparent and open, Aaron, about how you've kind of started off that way, but you're trying to transition into working more so on your business. Aaron, do you have any uh, book recommendations or even YouTube videos or people that you follow that have really helped you kind of with this mindset shift and to help you implement some of your processes? to get to this point where you want to be working outside of the business instead of in it? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I love self-help books, so I could like go on a big list, but I think the most helpful for working on my business, I mean, I've read the E-Myth and I like listened to the audiobook of Traction or whatever. And I think I need to read that one because it didn't like, I was like, eh, the book's okay, but everybody's going crazy about it. But the book that really did help me a lot for working on my business or how to think about it is this book called The Road Less Stupid by, I think it's like Keith something, but I haven't heard of it a lot of places. And I think it's like really yeah, underrated because it gives you like these different chapters. And then like, here's things that I've seen. He's, I guess, like a VC. So a venture capitalist, he's 
seen a bunch of businesses grow and everything. And he's like, here's like this one specific topic. Here's how you should think about it. And then at the very end of the chapter, he gives you like a list of like 15 or 20 questions. And he spends the first quarter of the book just outlining how you should think about your business. And so he coined this term for me, at least called thinking time. And he's like, you should do a thinking time probably two times a week if possible. And when I first started my business, it was actually kind of easy to set aside time for the thinking times. And so I got in a good habit of like Tuesday, Thursday mornings. First thing I do is I just like make some coffee and get myself really situated. I got a sweet ritual around it where I light a candle and I put on a special hat and uh, sit down at a table where there's no distraction. It's just me and a legal pad and write down a question and answers to it. And so that book has been really helpful. But then like I mentioned, I, I don't feel like I really know what I'm doing when I'm hiring people because like I worked for like a huge company and I never had anybody reporting to me. And so now I'm hiring a VA, kind of the second VA. And I just have no, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I heard basically, I heard somebody on a podcast. It's um, this guy named Dan Bro. It's like Dan Brault. He was on one of the bigger pockets podcasts and he's like doing cool things with wholesaling. And so I followed him on some social media. And then I saw him post like, yo, I got a like mastermind coaching call group thing. And I was like, yeah, sure. I could learn something from you for sure. And so I signed up for that and he's been providing a lot of helpful information for wholesaling in particular. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's super cool. And Tony, I saw you uh, typing in to order that book. So please send me a copy too <laughs> while you're at it, <laughs> while you're shopping. Sure. <laughs> When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. You dream of ditching your nine to five and starting your real estate career, but with home prices and interest rates at an all-time high, you're not sure how you'll find a worthwhile wholesale deal or a quality rental property. Look, here's an expert secret. You don't have to rely on on-market properties to start making money in real estate. You actually can find off-market properties with homeowners who are motivated to sell right from your phone, tablet, or computer with PropStream. PropStream provides data for over 155 million properties nationwide. With more than 120 search filters, including pre-foreclosures, pre-probate, and bankruptcy, it helps you quickly find motivated sellers even without MLS access. 
Now, PropStream offers public record data as well as an MLS sales estimate with over 99% accuracy to help you get the most accurate comps possible. You'll also get lead automation, skip tracing, and marketing tools like emails and postcards to close more deals quickly. They even have a free learning academy to help you get started. Get 50 leads free with their seven-day free trial at propstream.com slash BP. That's www.propstream.com slash BP. Aaron, so you've been doing your wholesaling business since the spring, really, of 2021. And you already have started building your team. What is your advice for a rookie investor as to when they start building their team, when they start reaching out to outsource some of their tasks? And how do you find these people? That's a good question. I think for me, I knew that when I started wholesaling, I was like, I don't want to be a one man operation. Although like, I think there are a lot of people that are just like, I'm just a one man wholesaling operation. I make like good money for myself. I don't spend that much time doing it. But when I was going into it, I was like, I want this to be basically, I want to like build it up to a certain level and then get myself out of it as fast as possible. So I can focus on other stuff, like whether it's flipping houses or burying or whatever I decided to spend my time on. So I was like, I want to hire people as fast as possible without like rushing into it. So basically I just came up with a couple criteria in like a thinking time where I was like, I want to have three months of somebody's salary saved up and I want to have like a little bit of other runway. I think Scott Trench mentioned it or he had that term where you have like a financial runway. So I want to have my financial runway and then like a financial runway for them. And so that's when I like decided I was ready to hire somebody. And then how I chose the specific person to hire, I used this like table of four different categories. I think it was in EOS. So our traction or that book where it was like, what are the things that you're good at and you like doing? What are the things that you're bad at and don't like doing? And then like bad at, but you do like it. And then, so basically it was just like, start on the things that you're bad at and you don't like doing, and then outsource those. And for me, I was lucky that those were kind of the repetitive and the tasks that would be easy to train a virtual assistant for. And so I've been making videos on Loom. So I'm just recording myself and my screen whenever I'm doing stuff like getting an email ready to send out to the buyers list or when I'm sending texts to people, how I do that, make a video with Loom. Yeah, Aaron, like so so much good advice there. And I think a lot of people, they they have fears around building out a team because sometimes it does seem like it's it's more work to train somebody up than it is to like just do it yourself. But your process of just recording yourself while you're doing it, because you're gonna do it anyway, and then sharing that with them as a training material, I think is is super insightful. I think one one follow up question for me because you you kind of you mentioned this briefly, but you said the VA that you hire to help with cold calling is in South America. It's a totally different country. A couple of questions around that hire. First is that if you have this person that you've hired for cold calling, were they already trained in how to cold call for wholesaling, or was that a process that you had to kind of train them up in? And then second. Was the language barrier at all a concern for you in hiring from someone overseas? So it's a service that I'm using and I found them through 
like another like Facebook group of wholesalers, they were like, yeah, one person on there was like, yeah, we just started or we've been cold calling and this person has really helped us out. You should check it out. And then like a few weeks later, somebody else was like, yeah, I just started with that same guy and like, I'm loving it. He's super helpful. And so I was like, well, this is something that I do want to like hire out and I need more leads coming in. I'm ready to handle them. And so it just makes sense. I'm going to test it out. And the language barrier is, it's not too bad. So there are just kind of like giving me the warm leads. So I guess they don't have to talk on the phone a ton. And then there's like some words that the script that they're using, just like they don't say very well. So I've been training them a little bit that way. So two follow-up questions for me on that. And, and this is kind of about the quality control and then the workflow. I guess I'll talk, I'll talk about the quality control portion first. Like, do you have an ability to listen in on their conversations to be able to give them feedback? Or are you just kind of blindly trusting that they're kind of knocking it out the park for you? I can listen into their conversations. So that's a good question. I'm using what's now called ready mode. It used to be like Zen dialer. But that helps, or that's what they're using, I guess. And that records the conversations. And I've been recording all the other conversations that I've been having because I've been using CallRail. So like I'll call somebody up when I was cold calling. And actually when my friend and I were cold calling, we would have sessions on Fridays where we would roast each other in our cold calls. So it was basically just like put on a 10 minute call of you like talking to somebody and then let my colleague just tell me what went well and what went poorly. And I really liked those. And I'm still doing some feedback sessions with other wholesalers now. Tony, maybe we should do those Friday night roasts between me and you. Like, geez, Tony, I can't believe you said that on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what Ash and I have been talking about doing is just like going on social media and just like reading all the the like mean reviews of us on the the podcast. So maybe that's what we can do for our roast session is just like read the bad reviews. Yeah, it's like on the late show, they had like their mean tweets segment where they'd have celebrities read the mean tweets about them. (laughs) Except I don't think anybody's ever said anything mean about Tony. So I'll just have to, I'll just have to create some. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that would be as productive as as Aaron's roast session, but close enough. So Aaron, one more follow-up question for me on the, on kind of the workflow with your VAs. So in terms of how the leads are kind of moved through the pipeline, I guess just give us an overview of what that looks like. Are you giving them the leads? Are they pulling their own list or is it your list? Are they just kind of trying to like, I guess, gauge for interest in selling? Are they actually setting appointments? And then like, how do the leads actually get to you? So just give us like an overview of that entire process. It's kind of actually the process is still in development. So in ready mode, my VA started setting an appointment for me. And since then I was like, right when she first started, I like had no idea. I was like, why haven't I gotten any leads? This is ridiculous. It's been like half a week and I haven't seen anything come through because I thought they were going to be pushed to my CRM. Um, And then there was just an integration error. And so there was like a five appointments that I just had not gone to. But since then she's now like setting follow-up call appointments for me to understand what the seller's motivation is and then basically get like motivation timeline and a price range from them just to see if we'll be a good fit and then from there i will go out on an appointment to the actual property and take some photos and 
try to sign a contract if it makes sense for both of us. But the lists I'm pulling and then I send to them and yeah, I, I would like to probably at some point automate list pulling and kind of managing of because I'm using a couple, I was cold calling for a little, or sorry, cold calling, texting and sending direct mail. And I was like rotating through the lists. And I honestly am not managing that as well as I should be. Aaron, I want to take us to our rookie deal review and kind of break down one of these wholesale deals that you have done. I'm going to ask you a couple just like fire on questions here, just so we can get an idea of what the deal looks like. And then if you want to go ahead into the story after that. So do you have a deal in mind you want to share with us? I do. Yeah. Okay. What kind of property is it? A single family? Yeah. And what market is it in? St. Louis, Missouri. And how did you find the deal? So I found the deal by driving for dollars, actually, when I still had my W-2 job. Driving for dollars, sent them a bunch of direct mail. They never replied. And then I recycled that list and was cold calling it when I first started. And they answered a call. And then I went out and meet them. That's so funny that you tried the two different ways and the one worked and the other didn't. Okay. And then what was your contract price on this? Got it under contract for $140,000. And what did you assign it for? $145,000. Nice. Okay. Do you want to go into kind of tell us how you negotiated that and how you found your buyer? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to be clear. The assignment fee was $5,000. So Right. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that would be a wild deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I would have had a lot more excitement if that was $145,000 your excitement too. 145. Yeah. So yeah, I'll let you know a little bit more about it. The reason I guess that they did not answer or reply to any of the direct mail probably was because it was just not the right time for them. They had a tenant in the property for seven years. And then when I called them, they were kind of like finishing up the process of kicking that tenant out because they had stopped paying water and utilities and rent for months. And so I just got a hold of them at the right time. And I was like, hey, yeah, have you ever considered selling that property? And she was like, well, actually, we're just had a real estate agent walk through it. And I'm going to go and get some quotes from somebody this Friday. Would you be able to? And I was like, oh, I could come by and have a look at it and just let you know what I think I could offer. And so when I was negotiating it, I really wanted to obviously get it for a little bit less than 140. I was hoping really I could be, I was like 135 would be a good number for me. And then I could assign it for, I was hoping like 150. And then I always try to target a $15,000 spread, although I've yet to hit it. It's what I'm aiming for. So I started a little bit lower with my numbers and she was like, yeah, I really want, we want to get 150. I know it's like, it's probably worth like 210 or after it's fixed up. And I was like, yeah, but it does need a lot of work since that tenant was in there for seven years. And they were kind of like, they had a lot of dogs and they were DIYing some like updates to the house that were questionable. And so she actually had moved out of state after she had the property. So for their, her and her husband's job, they moved into... Indianapolis, they were like five or six hours away. And so I was like, so what's your plan with the property? She's like, yeah, we're just going to fix it up, come down on the weekends and stuff and uh, fix it up and then probably just sell it. It's a good market. And I was like, yeah, it is. If you didn't want to like drive down here and she had two little kids with her. Um, and I was like, if you don't want to come down here with your family all the time, I could just 
buy it and fix it up. It'll be easier for me. And so that's kind of how that negotiation went. So you were listening to things that she said, like she had kids with her and she lived far away and you use that as a tool to offer her something that was appealing so that you could get that lower purchase price. That's awesome. So how long did this deal take place? How much time did you put into making that $5,000? Probably more than I would have liked to really. Somebody was under contract to buy it for a while. I guess I think I set the close date to be like, 45 days after we signed the contract and this guy went and saw it and he was like, yeah, this looks great. I'm just going to like move some money out of my 401k and then we'll be able to buy this property and fix it and flip it up or fix it and flip it. And then like it was his deal for a while. And then for whatever reason, he couldn't get the finances to buy it and close in time. And that was like two or three three weeks before I was supposed to close. And so I was like scrambling for a week or two, just like, I need somebody to buy this property in two weeks for $140,000 at least. And then I ended up finding a local investor that wanted to get it. But I was, I was all over the place. I think that's, that's like a really critical piece, right? So I want to make sure we don't gloss over that. You had two weeks to find a buyer and you said you, you ended up connecting with the local investor. Like walk us through how you found that person in the 11th hour. Was it through like a, a meetup? Was it just a friend? Like, where'd you guys connect? So I was like, I was posting it in the different Facebook groups and like sending out texts to people that had bought properties cash in the area before. And I called like the We Buy Ugly Houses people. And this guy, like just kind of out of the blue, reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm looking for this place. And he was one of the people that I had texted, I think. And I was like, yeah, come through and have a look. And he was like, yeah, it looks pretty good. We buy a lot of houses in this area and we signed the assignment contract. I don't even think it was a week before the close. I think we like agreed on it with a handshake a week before we needed to close. And then all the documents were signed like on Monday or Tuesday. And then closing was on Thursday. And I was (laughs) sweating on that one. (laughs) Yeah. But kudos to you for, for like figuring it out. Yeah. Right? Like, I think a lot of people that get into that situation, they kind of panic, but you, you kind of kept your cool for the most part and found a way to make the deal work. One last question before we move on from the this rookie deal review. What would have happened, Aaron, had you not been able to find a buyer? Like what would your next steps have been? That's a good question. The contract that I have is I would have just lost the earnest money that I had put down on that property. I had... A few other people that were interested in buying the property and I had worked, I was talking to another wholesaler that was like, yeah, we've got somebody that's super interested, but they only are going to pay like 135 for it. That's what their numbers are coming out at. And so I actually like reached out to the buyer and I was like, would you like, I know I said I was going to close on it. And it was like just the worst feeling that I had going into the conversation And then the conversation was awful and the seller of the property was like not happy with me. And she was like, no, I can't close for less. Like people have already talked to us. And then I finally found somebody that would close for a little bit more than what I wanted to, or a little bit more than she got what she needed. And I asked that question because different wholesalers will kind of approach that situation in different ways, right? Some will say, hey, we never not close on a deal. Like I know some that say like, okay, 
if we have to buy it ourselves, we'll buy it ourselves and we'll, we'll kind of figure it out from there. Some, like you said, they're, they're okay walking away and just leaving the seller with their, their assignment fee. So there's a bunch of different exit strategies, I guess, on a wholesale deal. So that's the point that I was really trying to make. So thank you for sharing that, uh, that experience with this man. It sounds like you, you did pretty good clearing 5k on a, on a relatively easy deal, man. Yeah. And actually like I would have probably ended up closing on it if I had the funds, but for that one, I just couldn't do it. But the first wholesale that I did where it was like a whole tail, that was the reason I, because I like had it under contract for too much and then couldn't sell it. So I was like, oh, it makes sense for me to flip Let it. Let me do it myself. Yeah. And barely made anything on it and learned a lot. But you learned, right? And that's the beauty of real estate, man, is that there's so many different ways to make a deal work, brother. So, so glad this one worked out for you. So Aaron, I want to move on to our mindset segment next. I want to get into the psyche of Aaron and uh, learn a little bit more about what makes you tick, man. So if we go back to Aaron, maybe when he first graduated from college or before he started consuming all those, those bigger pockets, podcasts and books and whatnot, you had some maybe assumptions you had about what it means to be a real estate investor, right? You had some maybe made up beliefs about what you thought it was going to be like. If you think about all those thoughts, all those ideas that you had, which of those turned out to not be true? Which of those turned out to be misconceptions about what it means to be a real estate investor? I think it's kind of funny. I'm probably unique in that I really thought I was like, oh, it's really easy. You just buy a house and then rent it out to people and then they just pay your mortgage. Be silly not to do that. So I just jumped in and I was like, oh, it's a little tricky. (laughs) But I think that cuts both ways, right? Because you see you see some people that overestimate the amount of complexity that goes into real estate investing. And then on the flip side, you, you see some people that underestimate it. And you know, I've shared this on the podcast a lot. You hear other investors say it as well. But real estate investing is not super complicated, right? It's a fairly simple process to get started in the world of real estate investing. But it is definitely not easy to become a real estate investor, right? It takes an extreme amount of effort to get there. So it is hard. It's not complicated, but it is hard. I think there's so many proven paths as you can follow to become a real estate investor. That's why the complexity is not there. But it is hard, especially if you're working a W-2, especially if you have like busy family commitments, especially if you have other things going on to dedicate the time, to underwrite the deals, to make those relationships, to do all of the legwork that's required to get the first deal done. I think that's where the hard part comes from. So you're definitely not alone, man, in, in kind of, uh, you know, getting that guess wrong. But uh, we appreciate the transparency around it. Yeah, me and Tony still even today will text each other and just be like, do you feel overwhelmed right now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> All the things we have going on. Okay, so I'm going to take us to our rookie request line. You guys can give us a call at any time, 1-888-5-ROOKIE, and leave us a voicemail. We may just play your question on the show and have a guest answer it. Hey there, Ashley and Tony. My name is Ashton Maximo. I'm here in San Diego. Right now, I'm a full-time worker detailing and I'm wanting to get into real estate and I've come to a place in my life where I can take off a few months of work and really just focus on it. My main goal is trying to get into wholesaling and doing that, but really just wondering if you guys think that's a good idea or any other thoughts you guys might have. Thank you. I would say start working on getting into wholesaling before you quit your job. Because at the beginning, 
you're not going to have just a pipeline full of leads that you can follow up with and like go and visit. And it takes a long time to close a deal. And like I mentioned, this person that I are like in the deep dive deal, I found them nine months before the deal closed before you even sign a contract. And then it was another two months after that. So do a little bit of maybe driving for dollars and then get a good, you have a good unique list that way and then reach out to them however is best for you. Um, If you don't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of time and energy, cold calling could work. If you are on the opposite end of the spectrum, you could send out some direct mail or something like that. And yeah, just talk to other people also that are in your market that are wholesaling and see what their take is as well. Yeah, I bet there's an opportunity out there where you can even work for a wholesaler doing driving for dollars for them and send them leads and learn their processes and systems. And, you know, maybe you just do it one or two nights a week or Sundays or something. But I think giving out your time for that experience is definitely very valuable. And then who knows, they will probably pay you a a fee or, you know, part of the assignment fee if you bring the deal or something like that. So look out for those opportunities too with other investors. Tony, who is our rookie rock star of the week? Today's rookie rock star is Dalton from PA. And for all of our rookies that are out there listening, uh, if you would like a shout out on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, be sure to get active in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Be sure to get active on the Bigger Pockets forums. Uh, that's where we're pulling all these folks from. Or give you know Ashley and I a shout out on Instagram. She's at Wealth from Rentals. I'm at Tony J. Robinson. If we find some good stories there, we'll be sure to share it on the podcast as well. But anyway, Dalton from PA. This one's really cool. Just got the appraisal back on my first mini burr. And the purchase price was 62500 Rehab was 3000 So they're all in for just a little over $65,000. The appraisal came in at $107,000 on this property. So they were able to cash out refi at $80,250, which means they pulled out $17,750 more than what they put into it. So awesome, awesome first burr, Dalton, and excited to see what comes next for you guys. That's so great. Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information? Yeah, you can catch me on BiggerPockets for sure or Instagram or TikTok. Instagram is Top Dog Enterprises, T-O-P-P-D-O-G Enterprises. And TikTok is T-O-P-P-D-O-G-R-E-I, Real Estate Investing. Dude, you're giving Stoom Dog room for his money right now, man. <laughs> the TL double P, DL double G. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I started an LLC to get my first rental property, and I was like, I don't know what to make it. And uh, I was a DJ in college, and I was top dog. So it just made sense. <laughs> there you go. Man. Are we on your TikTok, are we going to see some DJ videos on there? It's a mix right now of videos of me being like really goofy, maybe too goofy really pushing the line and then also like real estate stuff walking through houses trying to give tips on looking at houses oh cool we'll have to check that out well thank you so much aaron everybody thank you for listening to this week's real estate rookie podcast and i hope everybody has a great new year's this is our last guest episode of the year. And Tony, I think that going into the new year, I'm going to change out the outro. 
as we always say, this is Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and this is Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. But I feel like we need something new and fresh. So start thinking about it. Maybe like an inspirational quote or like a movie quote <laughs> at the end of each episode. <laughs> all Tommy Boy, yeah. all Tommy Boy one-liners at the end of each episode. Yeah, for a whole year. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great new year and we will see you in 2022.